0: This is
1: Loudspeaker. Hey there, I'm your host, Sarah Moneris, and you're listening to the WE Podcast, where together we find inspiration, encouragement, and growth through stories and real talk. Here, we navigate the messy human experience together. We raise our voices and speak our truth. In this space, we value the conversations that broaden our perspective and help us fully understand that we are connected, we are capable of growth, and that we are not alone. Are you ready? Let's get real. You're listening to episode number 103. In this episode, I get to talk with Chalice Springfield, Chalice is currently the chief development and communications officer at a community health organization. She recently made a huge career change from being in the real estate world for many, many years into healthcare. We talk about taking that scary leap out of your comfort zone and into what you feel your heart is calling you to, as well as taking the leap even when you don't have all the answers and getting back to ourselves and what Chalice coins as our second half of this human experience. What I love about Chalice is that she is committed to being green and growing and not ripe and rotten. So I'd love for you to think about what does that mean for each of us and how can we apply it to our lives? Chalice is a motivational speaker and personal coach and trainer in her business, Unstoppable Curiosity chalice is a true light and so full of wisdom and I cannot wait for you to hear from her. If you want to kind of start out with just telling us a little bit about, you know, where you're from, how you grew up, that kind of foundational history, that'd be awesome.
0: Oh, so good. So I grew up in Colorado Springs. My parents are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary this year. So still together, which is I think a little bit unusual these days. And I, I just love the, the dedication and devotion that they have to each other through all the ups and downs that life gives you. I have one sister who lives in Buffalo, New York right now, and I got to Greeley when I moved here to go to college to UNC by way of Kansas. So I was in Kansas for a year, and in a very small town, going from Colorado Springs to a town that has one stoplight center was a a big transition for me, maybe too much of a transition, I'm just going to say. In fact, (laughs) I remember driving through the town with my dad one time, uh, the first time we visited, and we thought we missed the business exit. Because, you know, we, it's like, I, we missed all the McDonald's and the, you know, all of the Seven Elevens, and no, it was just really one stoplight town. So it was a little too small. I came to UNC thinking that I was going to study education. And uh, being an elementary education teacher, yes, I think I'm just a big teacher now of big people, but not little people. So when I got here, I needed to have uh, a job to put myself through college. I was 19 and I found, this is how old I am, Sarah, I found a job uh, announcement on a index card posted on a bulletin board at the financial aid office uh, for Sears Real Estate. And I started working in their mailroom when I was 19, just to put myself through college. And so pretty soon started working there full-time while I was going to school full-time. And lo and behold, entered the world of real estate. So by happenstance, I got into business and ended up not going into education. Didn't really love when I did my cadet teaching. Didn't so much love the feeling that that was maybe more babysitting than I really liked. And so I started pursuing, you know, the the career in real estate by accident. And started there. Then I went and worked at a title company. I came back to Sears about seven or eight years later and sold real estate with a business partner. So I had sales experience and about 14 or 15 years ago, then got called from the mortgage company to back to Sears and they wanted me to be the line leader of the company. So to start out from the mailroom, and go to be able to be the CEO of the company is really a interesting journey. But like you said, it didn't happen overnight, right? It wasn't just like, show me the way, right? There were lots of detours and lots of different things that led me there.
1: Mm -hmm. You said you got into real estate by accident. And for me, too, going to school, I never in a bazillion years would have said I was gonna be a therapist. Mm. My path was very much by accident too. and I think that's something just to pause on and talk a little bit about because it feels to me like I don't think there's necessarily accidents, but I think it's important to to talk about or and and to think about how. We don't know, though, unless we actually go and do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I agree. I don't think that there are accidents. I think things are unfolding for us
0: sometimes to, when we have smiley face to our happiness. And sometimes we have sad face to so our chagrin. But I think things are unfolding in a way that they're meant to be. And not that we don't have choice and that we can't manifest and help things along, but to your point of doing, right? Like throwing yourself in and, and trying things. And even if it seems like this isn't the way, right? Like I started out in education and it's like real estate. Okay. I need a way to put myself through school so I can type and put labels on, you know, the postcards in the mail, but taking a shot at it and then mostly paying attention to how that feels. Does it feel good? You know, because it's not everything that you do is you're meant to stay in forever or you're meant to, you know, we try things and it's like, oh, we get nudges that that's not the right way. And we have to pay attention to those two, I think.
1: I know that you made a big career change fairly recently. So I was in the real estate field which I always explain to people is like a big ocean,
0: right? I mean, there's a real estate agent, there's mortgage lender, there's title company, there's homeowner's insurance, there's all kinds of things that make up that big ocean called real estate. So I have lots of rivers that led into the ocean called real estate. And now I'm in a totally different ocean right? I'm in the Indian ocean or the Arctic ocean or whatever you want to say. No longer the Pacific call. I'm in the ocean right now called healthcare and also doing um, consulting and coaching and training work. And so those are two other oceans that I get to play in, but you're right. I think have a good mindset that there's other things that are possible for you that it doesn't just have to be nose to the grindstone. I'm going to be a teacher, an attorney, a real estate agent for that. This is all that's possible. I don't, I don't believe that. Mm -hmm. I think there are all kinds of possibilities that are available for people.
1: I would love for you to talk about this job transition because (laughs) being able to think about the other possibilities, right. Is really stepping out of our comfort zones which is that is hard for a lot of people to do and so you just took a really big leap out of your comfort zone.
0: Yeah, right. Last year, this is not news for you or your listeners, but you know, for some people I think the pandemic was really hard. For some people, the pandemic was not so hard. There's lots of in between. And it was pretty hard for me. You know, when I look back 365 days ago, real estate was really in a pressure cooker uh, with regulations and rules changing and every single day trying to stay on top of were we allowed to be in a property with a mask or not a mask and, and really being the leader of an organization like that and also worried about our financial stability and worried about people's livelihoods. It was a pressure cooker. And I don't know that the pandemic is what caused me to quit. Right? So sometimes people say, oh, COVID, it got her. It's like, no. I, but I do have to say thank you to COVID because I think it brought some things to my attention that it was time to release real estate in a positive way. Like I honor, value, and cherish the experiences that I had in the real estate industry and to realize that there's other things out there that I'm curious about. And so my husband and I were having our 25th wedding anniversary. And we, we it was partially in the summer when things were opening up a little bit and you could actually go to a hotel. was like it's our 25th wedding anniversary we want to go somewhere to the Broadmoor which is down in the springs and that's such a beautiful campus and I can just remember us walking around the lake there and talking about you know some perspective about our anniversary being married for 25 years we've been together for almost 30 and you know how it feels like holding your breath underwater which is like A really long time, you know, when you hold your breath underwater, it feels like, oh my gosh, and then you pop up. And it's like, that was only 30 seconds. So we were having some perspective about it. Chris, my husband is nine years older than me. And we were talking about like the life that's left, not in a morbid way, but kind of in a take stock of life kind of way. And I realized that as I approach 50, and he approaches almost 60, not quite, you know, maybe we only have 20 more trips to go on. Maybe we only have 30 more big vacations. Maybe we have, you know, 30 more summers or, you know, I don't know how long we'll live, but we're probably, you know, it's not like we're in the first half of our life. We're in the second half of our life. And what occurred to me as we were walking around that lake is I didn't want to do real estate anymore for the second half of my life. And then I was ready to release it. And it just felt in absolute alignment, but was a little bit surprising I don't know necessarily that it was something that I hadn't thought about or that we hadn't chatted about. It wasn't like a bolt of lightning that came down and hit me and I just all of a sudden decided to quit. But I knew, Sarah, that when I made the decision, it felt right and there was full alignment. And that was a, that's an interesting kind of trust, trust the, the process and what's happening. I was also working with a spiritual coach last year. Her name is Angela. She's just really amazing. And so part of the lesson for me last year, I think, was trusting. That's like my lesson of trusting yourself, trusting the guideposts that you're given, trusting your intuition. And and I think this was a big intuition thing for me. Like I'm ready to release and do something different. I think what was probably the biggest enlightenment about trusting is that I didn't have a job to go to until about a month before I got my new job. And people, man, people ask me every single day, now, what are you going to do? (laughs) <laughs> like, what are you going to do? What are you doing? What, what's your next job? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And what I had to step into was more being like, who am I going to be? And trusting that the process was unfolding and less doing. Cause man, I am like the checklist queen. I can do the stuff, right? But trusting's harder, right? Trusting that it's unfolding and that a new job was, going to be there for me and it was going to be the right job and I would know it instead of, well, what I'm doing is I'm applying for 15 jobs a day on LinkedIn and I'm talking to all my friends and I'm making this and I'm doing that. Like I still had to do things. Let's be clear. You can't just be like, Hey universe, let me just, you know, I always think it's funny. Like when people, I'd like to get a soulmate and I'm like, well, are you dating? Are you on the, are you on match? Are you asking friends to set you up? Well, no like, well, you got to also, you know, take the uh, invite from the universe. <laughs> so, so all of that to say that a month before I got my current job, I'm working at, at Sunrise Community Health, which is a community health center here um, in Greeley and also in Melbourne as their director of uh, development and communications. When I got that job, I had to wait. I gave my notice in August and I didn't get that job until really the end of November, the 1st of December. I had to learn the trust, like trusting that it's all going to be okay. And that's hard. Don't you think? I mean, I think that's um, a lesson we could all, I don't know. I, I'm continuing to embrace it. I think I'm am still getting the trusting lesson, Sarah,
1: mm. over right. and over again. Totally.
0: Me too. Right. Me like version good. 2.0. That's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I hope I i hope I graduated from 1.0, but I think I'm getting 2.0 now. So that's good too. <laughs> Yeah. You just up level, right? You- I'm up leveling. Thank you. Yes. I'm going up the spiral, pathing myself on 1.0 waving. Like, yay, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're going up the escalator on 2.0.
1: Totally. Yes. I think there's a deeper level to this too. And uh, the trusting is super, super difficult. And I, I think the other layer is that switch from doing to being. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of us find our worth in the doing and we find our value in the doing is it equals our success or whatever, yeah. which also communicates to us our, our worth. And so when we switch to the being and I see people struggle with this so much in business because we have to be, but we don't want to be because a lot mm-hmm. of times in the being, there's no like fruit that, that other people can see. There's right. no like progress that you can say, I did this. It's yes. like the deep inner work that you can't you, you can't see it on the outside. Right. It's just not tangible. And mm-hmm. I think it's hard to get your head. It's
0: Number one, it's hard to, for the person experiencing the being to articulate, I think, at times. Mm-hmm. what does that mean that you're being? It's like, I don't know. I'm just being. Yeah, they're like, and you're working on stuff, right? Like you are, I don't know, you're popping the popcorn internally, but it's, there's no popcorn to see. And I, I think that's hard for people. And you're right. We get into, I think that's where some of the danger zone happens in society today is the hustling. You know, we hustle to do things or to, to have some sort of tangible result when really, and so, look, there's plenty of, there's plenty of, Good times and and justified reasons have tangible results. But then there's other times when the being part is more of the work for us to do.
1: Yeah. And that's
0: hard. <laughs> that's the hard stuff.
1: It is because it's so uncomfortable too.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And it, it takes work, right? It takes work to stay in the being versus the doing because, man, the doing, you're right. Just hustling makes us feel good. Like, look at me. Yeah. I did it. I did all right. this
1: stuff. And you're getting more accolades from other people and the praise and all of that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't come with being. <laughs> yeah. Not, not
0: usually. Right. Yeah. Yeah, we, yeah. Your good friends probably notice it like, well, wow, yeah, you seem lighter, you seem more com- contemplative. I mean, so sometimes it's even things that are maybe not always in the sunshine category. Like, how's it going for you? You seem very deep in thought lately. Yeah. To me, that's a good compliment.
1: Wow. Thanks. So one of the things that really drives you, and I I love to hear you say say the quote, because I think it's your, maybe your motto or your mantra is being green and growing and not ripe and rotten.
0: Right. Uh, A boss actually introduced me to that. I should give her a shout out. TJ from Home Team Lending, she and I work together. But Ray Kroc, the founder of McDonald's is actually the one that I think first said it. And isn't it a great quote? Be green and growing, not ripe and rotten. Mm
1: -hmm. Because it's
0: so true. We have this fruit bowl in our kitchen and we buy bananas. And isn't it fascinating how quick a banana can go from green to ripe ripe and rotten? And it's like, who wants to eat the black, gross banana? And it ends up in the freezer and turns into banana bread if I can get my act together and do the doing of making banana bread, right? There's just a fine line, I think, between the green and growing and the ripe and rotten. And you have to be monitoring it and, and in check with yourself all the time about it.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I wanna talk a little bit about this second half of life that you brought up yeah. because I'm 41 now. And so I feel like I'm I'm getting to that place too of like, okay, how much life I have left is maybe less than mm. or the life that I've already lived. And it's a totally different way of, I guess, seeing the world, seeing yourself, when, when you feel like maybe you don't have an abundance of time. Yeah. It does seem like, going back to your quote, that it's easier. I, I guess maybe this is the modeling that I've had in my family, but that people who enter the second half of their life, they're much better at getting ripe and rotten.
0: Yeah. No, sometimes. That's true. Yeah but then I think about other people who aren't. My friend Goldie's almost 80. She is the, one of the most green and growing people I've ever met. This year, two years ago, Chris and I hiked the Camino de Santiago, which is in Spain. It's, we walked a hundred miles in 10 days. It's one of the most magical things I've ever done in my life. And my friend Goldie, who's almost 80, is doing that this year. Wow. Is that the epitome of green and growing not ripe and rotten? Totally. Because I know other 80-year-olds who are like, oh, yeah, I'm just watching Netflix all day, right? <laughs> and nothing wrong with Netflix all day. But man, she is squeezing the juice out of life. And what an inspiration. Those are the people that I think you and I are looking for in our lives as mentors and role models to live your second half or your, you know, whatever whatever the number is to be inspired by.
1: I love squeezing the juice out of life too. squeeze it. <laughs>
0: One of my favorite um, words is, to, is living juicy, like a peach, like a lot, the life where you bite into it and the, the ripe peach, the palisade peach just runs down your mouth, right. And it's mm. so juicy and so sweet. Isn't that the life we really want? A juicy life, you know, the peach that's running down your face. Yes.
1: I need a t-shirt that says live a juicy life. So let's go back to your story. So you yeah. you left real estate. Right. You jumped in. Well, you had the period of unknowing. There is something to be said about someone who's just leaning into themselves. Mm. You know, that's different than I think what we experience from people on a daily basis most of the time.
0: It was an interesting period for me because I think being asked every day, what are you going to do? And truly not knowing was was in some ways confrontational, right? Now, I don't know if the word's confrontational, but it shook the, it shook the hourglass every day for me, the snow globe. And it's like, okay, let it settle because you don't need to have it figured out. I, I, I really do have a belief that the universe wants things to be easy for us. And that when we, the more we push, the more that we resist, the more that we cajole and try to figure it out that sometimes we just need to be like the karate kid, wax on and walks off. And if we just practice walks on, walks off, which is hard to do, right? Like when people are asking you, what's your next job? And you don't have another job and you get a little freaked out about money and you get a little freaked out about, is there going to be another job? It's hard to stay grounded in that mindset. So it was really good practice and trusting, but I'm going to tell you, it was like one of the most challenging times. And, I, and again, I continue to learn trust. It's like, oh, I got that. I'm still learning how to trust what the universe is unfolding for me.
1: Yeah. And so note to everybody listening, note to self too, when somebody's going through that transition, <laughs> I think, you know, to think about how yeah. that we can put that pressure, like the societal norm kind of pressure onto people when it's just not helpful. Right. In any kind of situation, right? Like if somebody dies and you say, So, you know, when are you
0: going to get rid of their clothes? What are you doing? What do you know? What do you or you get a new job or you break up with your your boyfriend and people are like, well, when when are you going to start dating again? You know, people are very much in the action mode. And instead, would it be so great for us to get in touch with the feeling
1: about it? Totally. Can you imagine if we just started asking each other how we're being?
0: Right. But people like be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> totally, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what you're saying, but it, it is with good friends of mine. That is what we talk about.
1: Yeah. I would love for that to become more common than the, how are you measuring up? Because I feel like that's what the doing is asking essentially. Yeah, I totally agree.
0: It's a good question. We're starting it here. We're yeah. they'll, be, they'll make bumper stickers after us, Sarah.
1: How are you okay. being... The Sarah and Chalice Show. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, there's another t-shirt. How are you? I know. We're going to get asked all these questions and you better be able
0: to respond. How are we being today?
1: Yes. (laughs) So you also have... Uh, started your own business along the way? When did that start? Well, more formally, probably about seven or eight years ago. But you know, they say that people that
0: do public speaking, that public speaking is um, actually higher for people in terms of fear than death, Mm -hmm. which means people would rather die than do public speaking. I think that's always funny. Like you'd rather die than actually get up in front of a crowd. And some of your listeners are probably going, Amen sister. But I like public speaking when it can be fun and engaging and helpful for people. And so I I started public speaking probably about, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago in just the world of educating and helping people in real estate. And then it kind of grew. And so about seven years ago, I started an actual coaching and training company called Unstoppable Curiosity, which I think is a fun name. And now just do private coaching. And then I'm running a coaching and accountability program. It's about 29 or 30 people this year. And then do keynote speeches and all kinds of things just
1: for fun. So that's fun too, to have that grow and develop and see how that's all unfolding. So Unstoppable Curiosity. I heard you use the word curious earlier. So to tell us more about the name.
0: Well, I like the word unstoppable. And, and the reason I like it is because it doesn't mean you never get stopped. It means that when you do, you figure out how to get in motion again. To be unstoppable means you have to experience being stopped, but it does. It means you're not stuck right? Forever. And so I think that really explains a lot of life for most of us. It's uh, probably like the greening growing, not ripe and and rotten mantra. And then curiosity is, I just love, I think I've always been a curious girl. I I remember in the third grade, we had a fish tank in the classroom. And I remember watching the fish and and I asked the teacher, he said, how do you know when fish are sleeping? He was like, I I don't know I think he was sort of like irritated with third grade question how do you know fish are sleeping I was pretty like persistent about it you know I think he's like oh I don't know because you know fish don't close them I I could I'd watch them they're not closing their eyes like what's happening so he sent me across the hall to the sixth grade teacher who happened to be a bio like biology special like he was teaching sixth grade but he actually studied biology And I remember standing in front of the whole sixth grade and they made me ask the question in front of all the sixth graders, right? So I'm probably what, how old are you in sixth grade? Nine with all of the 12 year olds or 13 year olds, something like that, maybe asking, how do you know fish sleep? By the way, I don't know if he gave me the right answer, but he said, they're just very still, right? And they don't hardly move and their heart rate probably decreases, but you're right, Chalice, they don't close their eyes necessarily. So at a really young age, I just remember being curious about all kinds of things like that. And it probably, it's even to this day, it's one of the reasons I love TED Talks, and I love reading books, and I love traveling, because I just have a sense of curiosity. And I think one of my other favorite sayings is, you know, more curiosity, less judgment. Hmm. Because that'll also help you from a people-y side of it, <laughs> but when, we're, when we stay in curiosity, it's just so much more helpful and interesting. The world is a lot more interesting when you're curious about it.
1: Totally.
0: So that's the unstoppable curiosity. The logo is a rhino unstoppable and a little kitten with his uh, paw up to the rhino because kittens are so curious and often naughty about that.
1: Mm-hmm. It's cute. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that you can have growth without curiosity.
0: So true. That's a good point.
1: Yeah, they really do go hand in hand.
0: I know. Do you find that a lot of people are not always curious?
1: I think what gets in the way is that judgment piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of
0: themselves or of others. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yes, very much so. The The judgment keeps you in a place of I'm right. I don't need to know any different Right, I don't need to expand my view. I think judgment towards self really keeps people from moving forward because then they're just constantly beating themselves up rather than getting curious about why do I do this? Like yeah. why do I think like this or why does this bother me? But what what we typically do is, well that's stupid. Why do you feel like that? Or you need to knock it off or Yeah.
0: Well, because the work behind why do I do it that way is a lot harder than you're stupid and you can stay in status quo. Right. Now, it's the you're stupid, you can stay in status quo is not necessarily helpful, right, in terms of having an expanded life. But I think it people gravitate towards that because, man, we sure like this. I like the status quo too, a lot of times, you know, but it's probably not where all the good stuff is.
1: Totally. And I think what it does and what I see a lot in working with people through counseling is it creates inconsistency in there, in people's inner and outer selves, yeah. which really creates a lot of upheaval. I think that's where a lot of depression, anxiety, you know, all of those things really stem from is that inconsistency between who, who I really want to be, who I wish I was and who I present myself to be on the outside.
0: Right. And if we were just curious, it doesn't mean we have to solve it. Right. Right. It's not like, unstoppable problem-solver. It's just curious, right? Like we can just dip our toe in the pool and learn about a different religion, learn about a different way of mindset, a different political view, a different way that somebody drives their car. I don't know, right? We can just be curious about it and we don't have to pick up that suitcase if we don't want it. Mm -hmm. You don't have to pack your bags and move in. You can just what's in the luggage,
1: yeah, <laughs> there might be some good things in there. I know, there
0: might be a cool souvenir you get to take home.
1: That's funny. Oh, yes, I love it. We all got luggage, the baggage. Right? Oh my gosh, yeah, we all got
0: baggage. <laughs> like, I don't know, I should, maybe shouldn't have used that analogy, but it is, you know, kind of, it is curious because I think we do have baggage about, you know, we carry stuff around and we're very attached to it. Mm-hmm. But if we were curious how much we could release that wasn't serving us. Keep the stuff that's working. It's great.
1: Mm-hmm. But release the
0: stuff that's not serving you.
1: Yeah. So what do you, when you're working with people, I've wondered this and I, I feel kind of, see I'm judging myself. I Uh-oh. feel kind of dumb a-
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: Thanks for admitting it, right? You're just being curious.
1: Yeah, I'm being curious about the word Sherpa. I don't know what that means. Oh. oh, that's good. So the reason I
0: picked the Sherpa Coaching and Accountability, a Sherpa is, is like when people go to Mount Everest, they hire a sherpa, which is somebody that helps carry your bags and lead you up the mountain. Oh. They're a guide, and so they're the person. You know, Sir Edmund Hillary was the one who is credited for Mount, uh, summiting Mount Everest first, but really, his sherpa Tenzing Norgay is probably deserving of equal credit because he was right there with Sir Edmund Hillary. And let's just be clear, probably had a much harder hike carrying all of his gear and helping him and, and knowing the way to get him to summit Mount Everest. And so Sherpas in our lives are so important because they're the guides that help us get up the mountain when we sometimes don't know the way.
1: Mm, I love that. Isn't that cool? Yes. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. We need guides in so many, in so many ways, in so many different areas, and I think at so many different times in our lives. All the time,
0: I think we always need a guide, right? Mm-hmm. Although we don't always, want, we don't always want to admit that,
1: <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> Asking for help, right? Like I need a guide. Even saying when I don't know what something is, right? Like what you when you ask me, I don't know what that word is. For us to just say, like, hey, can you time out? I'm in a new job, Sarah, and. Every single day I'm learning something new. Like, I don't know what that acronym is. I don't know what HRSA is. Is that an acronym or is it a name of a woman, right? (laughs) It's like, what are you talking about? And so have the confidence and just the humility to ask for help and to stop the conversation when we need a guide, whether it's with a word or a really messy, mucky situation you're in. They're all over the place if we just look for them.
1: Yeah. And I think at, in different seasons, maybe we need different guides. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What do you mean? I
0: mean, I think that's true. Do you have an idea about that?
1: Oh, yeah. I just know, you know, throughout my life, there have been seasons where I really needed a therapist. Like I really needed to do that deep healing work. And then other seasons where, I needed a spiritual guide or teacher or I needed somebody who was going to help me with my accountability and and the things that I'm working on in business. So there's so many different areas that we can get help in. Right. There are shurpas
0: all over the place. Like you go to the, like I always think of it like a bazaar, like a flea market or something. It's like, what shurpa might I need today? Right. They're just, they're available if we're, If we're open to having somebody help us up the mountain.
1: And we need help. It's just a matter of admitting that we do. And not thinking that there's something wrong with that. Mm -hmm. Right? Like
0: I love what, you know, Brene Brown says that about, you know, to the extent that, you know, we can give is also to the extent that we can receive, and so some people have a real hard time with receiving, which would be help or asking for things. I'm kind of like that sometimes, but I remind myself, you can't just be a giver if you're not a receiver because your capacity to receive also increases your ability to give. So I remind remind myself that oh, that's a hard one, but when I don't receive, it means I'm not building my my muscles to give at an even deeper level.
1: And don't you think it's harder I Maybe this is a generalization, but it seems like for people who are helpers and caretakers that it's harder for them to receive.
0: Yeah, but I think it might be the suitcase they're carrying. It'd be interesting to be curious about it, like to not have it be that you're weak, to not have it be that, like, what does it mean to receive, right, as a caretaker or helper, Yes, I think those are the people that probably have a struggle on the receiving side and asking for help. But why?
1: Mm -hmm. And there's
0: lots of reasons, right? But to be curious about that and to say, you know, for me, when I don't want to ask for help, it's because I think I don't want to have to owe somebody. I don't want to feel in debt to somebody. I don't want to put them out, right? Like I don't want to be an inconvenience or a nuisance. And really the gift to recognize is if my friend Sarah brings me a meal because I've had surgery is that it might be a gift to her, mm-hmm. it be a gift to her to be a blessing to me. And when I don't allow her to do that, that's robbing her of the gift.
1: Totally. Yes.
0: It's a different way of looking at it, but it helps me sometimes like, oh, am I stealing the gift? You know, if my friend wants to treat me to lunch and I just protest so much that it doesn't make it fun to be the giver anymore i've robbed them of the ability to treat me to lunch
1: it's a great perspective
0: you're listening to a podcast on the loudspeaker network to find other podcast and unique programming visit www.loudspeaker.fm loudspeaker diverse voices unique sound Feminist Hot Dog is back with a new season packed with awesome interviews with icons, artists, innovators, authors, and lots of surprises. Whether you consider yourself a hardcore feminist or you're feeling feminist curious, tune in Wednesday nights at 8 Mountain and get all the information and inspiration you need to live your best feminist life. Listen Wednesdays on Loudspeaker and Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, love
1: yourself and love your fun. People who are feeling unhappy in their job or feeling unhappy with where they are in their life or what they're doing or, you know, sometimes even in a in a relationship or whatever it may be. What would you say to people as far as taking that step out of that? Because I think people really get stuck in. This is comfortable, even though I hate it, even though It's not serving me. I don't want to be here. Sometimes just the comfort of that thing outweighs uh, all the other, you know, stuff. So leaving your job at at Sears really just how do you take that step? Where do you think would be helpful for people to focus to help encourage them live their second half the way that they really want to? Or
0: their first half for that matter, right?
1: Exactly.
0: I think you do that, Sarah, by partially paying attention to your discontent, which most of us, including myself at times, are not comfortable looking that in the eye. Your discontent has something to tell you. So when you're not feeling happy, when you're angry, when you're upset, when there's no joy, I'll never forget one of my staff members who was on my team asked me when I quit, she, she said, oh my gosh, and she was totally floored. And she said, well, how, how did you know that this was the right time? Like, how did you know? And I said, I knew because my job wasn't bringing me joy anymore. And it was like, mic drop. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, and that's the discontent to pay attention to instead of just keep living it for 20 more years. Mm-hmm. So sometimes... Like in that situation, Sarah, I didn't know what the next thing was. I think sometimes we think it's a puzzle, where we have the exact piece that goes with the discontent. So, you know, somebody has a discontent in their relationship with their husband or uh, partner, and then they they fit they think, oh, this puzzle piece has to be figured out as number two before I can. Do something about number one. Hmm. Not really. But if we pay attention to our discontent, I think it, and, and I'm learning some of this right now, is that it will point to what we want. It will help us discover what we want. So if you're in a relationship where there's not a lot of communication, there's your discontent, and that points to what you want. Now, how do you climb on that bubble every day of, I want more communication, right? <laughs> you know, it's a way pointer. So paying attention to your discontent, i.e. in my job, I no longer am experiencing joy. And then I quit. Now I got to figure out, okay, what will bring me joy, right? And, and, and sometimes it's not always a slam dunk. Sometimes it's, well, I jumped in that pool and part of that pool is giving me joy and part of it's not. And, you know, like I said, it's not just a one for one. But then you pay attention to that discontent and you figure out, okay, what I would say about the discontent is to make micro movements, baby steps. I always call it moving the needle from one to two. We think we have to move the needle from one to 10. Okay, I have this discontent called my relationship or my job or my whatever. And we think that you have to do what Chalice did, quit her job overnight. One, That's one to 10. That doesn't happen very often, right? And let's be clear, the, there were things that were bringing me to that point micro movements to not wanting a, uh, that job any longer but if you can figure out how to move the needle from one to two and then two to three and then three to four pretty soon you'll be at 10 and living that best life that you've imagined mm-hmm. and sometimes the needle moves backwards crap how did i i thought i was at a five now i'm at a three again right <laughs> then you, you just figure out what is what is mine to do today What's the micro movement to do today?
1: So true. Not getting overwhelmed with the whole big picture, just focusing on the next right step.
0: Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love next right step. Glennon. Yeah.
1: And mm-hmm. not, I know we love Glennon. <laughs> not, I think that's really important. Like I don't need to have a plan. I don't need to know what the answer is before yeah. I take a step. I think I hear so often people are like I hate my job. I hate my job. Whatever. I have to have a new job before I can leave this job or sometimes that's real with money or whatever. Yeah. But it all of the pieces don't necessarily have to be there right. to take a step.
0: Right. If you didn't like your job and you don't have the freedom to quit today, the next right step might be to polish up your resume. And then the next right step might be to take an online class in Adobe InDesign because you want to be a graphic artist. So it's it's sometimes, like you said, not figuring out, not just with being okay and settled in trusting that it's all unfolding mm-hmm. and that you don't have to have you can have a destination in mind and not know the entire map along the way. Isn't that part of the fun of a journey? Yeah. It's like on a road trip, it's like, oh, let's stop and see the largest ball of twine, right? In the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's part of the fun of it, right? That's the next right step is to, yeah. is to stay planted in the journey and recognize that sometimes that's just as important, the unfolding which is where I'm kind of at like unfolding is just as important as the destination.
1: Yeah. And I think a part of that too, that I've really had to learn is being able to recognize when something's not serving me and being able to let it go without spending a lot of time being stuck there. Yes. Being okay with that, being okay with saying this part or this relationship or this piece of this job or whatever it's not serving me. It's not allowing me to live my best second half. Yeah. And so I can, I can let it go and that's okay.
0: Yes. Like a permission slip. I have permission slip pads. I have them at my desk at sunrise and people will walk in and they're kind of, you know, needing permission about something. I say, I pull them out and I say, well, geez, sounds like you need permission for something. Let's write you a permission slip. Like a principal would write you a permission slip. And they're so low, but it's so funny how oftentimes I go through an office or friends have kept them that we have to sometimes give ourselves permission for things, right, Sarah? And I think that's what you're talking about. Permission to release things that aren't serving me. Permission to be sad. Permission and not stay there, but permission to just feel the emotions, right? Permission yeah. to eat a salad for lunch, but eat hot wings for dinner. Okay, whatever you need permission for.
1: Yeah, I need some of those pads. Okay, I'll get you one. Yeah, there's an abundance of permission slips, right? And you could do
0: it on a sticky note, you know, bring Brown does that just do it on a sticky note. But man, it's fun to have a formal permission slip because <laughs> it sure does feel good. Uh, write yourself one.
1: Totally. <laughs> All the permission slip sales are going to go up after. I know. Right. Yeah. I should
0: just put them on the market.
1: <laughs> you should.
0: Yeah. Email me for your permission slip notepad. We'll send you one.
1: <laughs> Perfect. So that's a good lead in to how people can connect with you. Do you hang out more on like one social media platform than another? What's a good place for people to find you? So
0: I do have a website for Unstoppable Curiosity. It's a permission slip to have it be a work in progress since I have a, you know, other, a quote, other full-time job but unstoppablecuriosity.com. I have a Facebook page for that as well. And I have a personal Facebook page, Chalice Springfield, that that's probably where I spend. That's actually all the places because while I'd like to get an Instagram and a all the Because thi- I really like Snapchat only because you can do those little filter things. And I think that's so fun when I'm walking mm-hmm. with Sarah and she puts, you know, rabbit ears on me. I think that's so fun. <laughs> I just cannot manage another social media account because I feel sometimes like Facebook doesn't always serve me. And so sometimes I want to release that. But I haven't yet because I still get to see my friends' pictures and where they're traveling to and all those mm-hmm. things.
1: Okay. Well, I'll have the links to those in the show notes. Oh, okay. Great. Thank you. But let's go into my, my questions for you. So what has been the most vital do you think to your growth? Well,
0: I think we kind of covered it earlier. So maybe I should think of something different, but the, the answer to the question would be green and growing, not ripe and rotten. It is that sense of curiosity. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know, I love what Carol Dweck t- talks about—a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset—and a growth mindset is just so much more jello-y, right? It's so much more pliable, and oh, I don't know, just—and sometimes it's messy. Darn it! Having a growth mindset is not always easy because mm-hmm. there's stuff to reckon with, and there's stuff to sort out. And this—you shake the snow globe, and then you've got to scale the stuff. Settle, and then you shake it again, and then it settles again. So, having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset, and that sense of curiosity, I think, is what has helped me along the way.
1: Mm-hmm. It's huge. All right, walking away from this podcast, yes, what do you want to make sure that people know? How are you? I, I think this is such a trick question. How are you supposed to pick one thing? Right? You can pick multiple. No, it's, I, okay, I, I I did pick one thing.
0: You know, I am not a parent, but I have lots of children and I was a senior partner. I still feel like I'm a senior partner to my junior partner. And so I thought, what would I want her to know, right? What would I want my nieces and nephews to know about this question? What would I want other people to remember? And I think what I would want people to remember is that anything is possible. And not in a flippant way, you know, like oh anything's possible you you don't have to work hard you don't have to it's like no but i think if you have a belief that anything is possible the world can serve you a little bit better and like i also get that anything anything is possible is sometimes harder for people who haven't had the same amount of privilege that I've had. Mm-hmm. So that's a hard one sometimes for me. Cause it's like, is anything possible for, you know, sunrise shares a building with the cold weather shelter and for people experiencing homelessness, I, I often think, man, chalice is anything possible for them? Yeah. But, but what they want and what their possibilities and their hearts desire might be different than mine. Mm-hmm. And sometimes life circumstances makes it harder for for anything possible to manifest. But if we walk in with that belief, even in the midst of all of that shit from the universe, (laughs) we walk in with that belief, I think that the universe is conspiring to help us with it.
1: Mm. Yeah, the universe has our back. Right. Uh I think that's true,
0: right? Yeah. All of us, even though in some circumstances it doesn't... It does, like when I, you know, when I see people in there with their carts and experiencing homelessness, I think, man, is the universe supporting them? The universe is probably supporting them. Mm-hmm. It looks different. But see, that's the heart. That's what there is to reckon with, right? Like, oh, how do I reckon with that?
1: Yeah, I feel like we could do a whole episode on that piece.
0: (laughs) Yes. And, you know, like taking those feelings, like how do you take those feelings and not reduce your own light and your own good and what you're experiencing? You know, what do they call that? Comparative suffering. Mm -hmm. Um, My life or what I'm experiencing isn't as bad as what someone is experiencing and not diminishing that. But then for me to see people experiencing homelessness and figuring out how can I contribute to the good of the world? Mhm. Like how do we see what's happening with black lives matter and see, and and recognizing man the universe is conspiring to help people but it sure looks hard and I got to do my part. Right. Cuz that's what that's what there is to do right now is to do the work, right? To get messy and roll around and how do we help our our friends of color? Mhm. Yeah. So that's the heart but that's hard.
1: Mhm. And we want to believe in ourselves, right? That we can do the work. Yeah. And and that the work is possible. And so I I totally I totally get everything you're saying and I think there's hope in that. And so how do we move forward if we don't feel hope? We have to find hope somehow in every situation, hopefully. And maybe that's sometimes needing to reach out to somebody else who is going to give us hope when we don't feel it. But that's what I feel in the anything is possible is hope.
0: Yeah. yeah, Like the Sherpas. Mm -hmm. We don't know how to do it right. When we're not feeling that anything is possible, that's the nudge from the universe to
1: say, who's the Sherpa that can help you up the mountain. Thank you for listening to the we podcast. What a wonderful conversation with Chalice. I hope you have taken many tidbits of goodness and wisdom to carry forward with you. I've decided that I'm really going to make those shirts, so watch for those in the wee spot. I'd love to hear about your thoughts or your favorite moments from this episode. Find me on social media and let's get connected. This show is produced by Loudspeaker Networks. Also, credit to my talented daughter for creating my show music. You can find more of the We Podcast as well as many other awesome things on the network at loudspeaker.fm. If you heard something that touched you, don't forget to share with your friends. Remember, your story makes you who you are. Speak your truth, show up for the hard conversations, choose growth, and always know that you are not on this journey alone. See you next time.